0: You're listening to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged and strengthened as you listen to this week's message.:
1: It was a good morning, good to worship with you all. You can just sense the engagement and just the Holy Spirit here. And we know he is. And yeah, I think we were singing because it was Joan Stymus's 79th birthday. Is that right? Joan, happy birthday. <laughs> Yay. And it's going to be a beautiful day for your birthday, too, outside. That is so cool. I just love that song that Mary ended with. Holy, holy,
0: Lord of all. That is such a good one. (laughs) Holy, holy, Lord of all. Holy, holy, Lord. The other words, Mary. (laughs) Worthy, worthy. holy holy lord of all holy holy lord of all thank you lord bless you god thank you god lord you are holy
1: you are worthy you are awesome Thank you, God. Bless you, Lord. Lord, we honor you in this place. We honor you in our hearts, with our lives. Thank you, God. Just be glorified this morning. Thank you for the fellowship, even this morning. And uh, Lord, every aspect of our lives brings you glory. And uh, every part of what we do, even here and beyond, is important to you. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. It's good to worship with you all. Uh, You know, I was thinking when uh, Cheryl, I appreciate really those who preach and those who prophesy and those who even minister up here. But I appreciate at least as much, if not more, those who have a real heart for community and those who want to develop community, you know, like Cheryl. And, you know, even all that we do and the, you know, out there is like to me, you know, if you don't have that, you really don't have a lot, you know. It's all, you know, the common unity, community, right? So it's like I so appreciate that. You know, it's not just a little thing we sneak in during the service. So we really try to be deliberate about even talking with one another on a Sunday, not just coming here and running out, but connecting with people and talking. And I heard last week Pastor Tim gave a really good word on community. Anyone here for that? No, you weren't. Okay. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah, time flies. Um, that is so cool. And I saw an article this week. It just made me think of it, and I was going to read it. Um, this is... Uh, this would be like what not to do, okay? So it's, uh, I saw an article titled, Small Group Meets But Fails to Notice Each Other. <laughs> I thought, boy, that's really odd. It seems almost impossible. But, uh, so this was it. From Anaheim Hills, a small group from Life Baptist Church met during the week, but members have no memory of seeing each other because they are staring at their smartphones the entire time. "'I thought everyone else was keeping up with the discussion,' says one woman who successfully, quote, "'liked 55 posts and finished two games of words with friends during the 90-minute gathering. "'I guess no one was. Uh, "'Members were so engrossed in texting, posting, and tweeting that it did not occur to them "'that nobody was talking, let alone even leading the meeting. "'Silence descended on the room as members sat tapping screens, "'occasionally giggling and typing messages.' I went into the kitchen at one point to get snacks, and it did seem awfully quiet, says one man. Everyone had their heads down. I, I just thought we were praying. <laughs> one man had bought a new app and was eager to try it out. I was tearing it up on tiny wings, and I thought everyone would understand, he says. I remember walking into a door, but I'm not sure what building it was. Maybe small small group or bed, bath, and beyond. I, I just don't even have a visual for it anymore. Some people even texted and messaged each other while in the same room. I was having a great conversation with Karen on Facebook and didn't notice that she was sitting three feet away from me, says one woman. She messaged me, oh, I'm in small group, and I messaged her back, really, me too. (laughs) Only later did members even confirm that a meeting had taken place by piecing together tweets and texts and Facebook posts. It says on Facebook that I checked in at their house, so I must have been there, says one woman. Facebook doesn't lie. Others looked at their timelines and Twitter feeds and saw posts like heading to small group and picking up chips and salsa at around the same time. But none have any memory of what happened after that. I think I ate a plate of something, but I was pretty engrossed in fruit ninja, so I really didn't notice, says one man. It may have been brownie bites. (laughs) One woman and her husband arrived home afterwards, sat in their garage and looked at each other and said, did we just go to small group? It was a little eerie, says the wife. The only thing I can recall is seeing my iPhone screen. Which, by the way, have you checked out this app? Members group texted each other afterwards and pledged to actually look at each other the next time they meet. We kind of felt bad, says one man. I told them, next time, if I forget to pay attention, just FaceTime me. <laughs> it just made me laugh. It, came to, it kind of exaggerate, but... You know, we really do have to be deliberate to, like, talk with each other. And, you know, when you're having a conversation with someone and they're, like, checking something on whatever, it's like it's, you know, we just don't want to forget. We are real people, you know. And I love, like, it's fun being part of groups on Facebook and all this stuff, And but we do have to meet and enjoy each other and connect hearts. It's pretty hard to do that electronically, you know. We can think we do, but it doesn't really work. Um, so I just thought that was funny. Um, so I just want to share some thoughts this morning. I, I kind of like the summertime. You know, it's not like we need a heavy message to go. You know, it's like, let's just enjoy each other, enjoy the presence of God, enjoy one another. Uh, but I do have some thoughts I want to just share today on what I would call living from a place of abundance. Um, so I think I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll en- it'll encourage you. Um, and what I love is, I mean, to be honest, you know, church is a wonderful place for community. I can hear great teachings just about anywhere. I mean, there is a, an amazing amount of great teachings out there today, just podcast or whatever. So if this was the only place we got it, you know, I'd be really surprised. Um, but as much as I love good teaching and stuff, nobody, I've never heard one message really that changed the entire course of my life. I, met, I may have had some that I encountered God stronger, but I think it was all of those messages together and our response to them over time that start to kind of renew the mind. You know, it doesn't just happen in one thing. You know, we get saved, we get the mind of Christ that is now capable of, you know, all that God has. And it's our job to just kind of respond to the Lord. And that's how the renewing of the mind happens over time. So all that said is I love every message that comes out of this place, and I think everybody has a piece of it, and it's not any one more important than the other. However, let's talk about this. Enough preaching on that. Uh, living from a place of abundance. I think, honestly, the culture of scarcity, what I would call a culture of scarcity. Anyone ever been in what they would consider a culture of scarcity? I mean, you know, I, you can have it in a workplace. You can have it in an education system. Uh, it can be in, within church communities, just a culture of scarcity. And what I have found, it's based on the belief of not having enough or not being enough. Those You can really track it down to the roots, not having enough or not being enough. Uh, scarcity, or what I would also call poverty thinking, has pretty paralyzing effects on believers, and I think it's disastrous when it comes into work or education or businesses, communities. I think it's awful, creates an awful culture i 've been part of it. Uh, scarcity perpetuates this insatiable need to be right, to be popular, to be famous, to be notable, and it instills in the culture a very unhealthy dependence on guaranteed successful outcomes. Um, none of those things are bad, but a dependence on them you know breeds what I would call a culture of scarcity. People don 't want to share what they know they don 't want to share with other people. they hold on to things in this mythical way of thinking that that makes them a step ahead or better. So all of that, why, So which is why creativity, innovation, and learning at work and schools have been replaced by predictability, safety, you know, what are defenses against vulnerability. Um, I, I read an interesting book this summer, I'm going to share a little point, a few points from, called Daring Greatly, it was by Renee Brown. Um, I don't believe she's a believer, but she had some really great points in here. Um, and basically what she did, it was a real statistical type look at cultures and how to have help cultures embrace what she called vulnerability. And, you know, is that possible in a workplace, especially in a business environment, you know, where critical decisions are being made and people get fired for not performing and, you know, it's, it, people want to hold on to their turf. So I thought it was interesting. A couple points she found that I think were really unique The constant pursuit of what she would call enough ties self-worth to achievement, and it provokes people to endlessly compare themselves to others and to judge themselves too harshly. How many has judged people, judged ourselves too harshly? I mean, me, you know, some with perfectionist tendencies. We could write a book on this one. Renee Brown found that the need to attain to have more And to do more, along with the subsequent feeling of being, quote, less than, leads to perceptions of worthlessness and inadequacy, which leads to shame. You know, when we feel worthless and inadequate, you know, the enemy loves to get in there and bring feelings of shame that you have to fight off. And some of us, it's hard sometimes to identify that. But when shame dominates, then vulnerability has to be avoided at all costs. Does that make sense? So when, when there's shame in a culture that has fostered individual shame on people, there is no freedom to be vulnerable. There's no freedom to be real. There's no freedom to be creative, or it greatly reduces the ability to be creative or innovative even. So the more self-worth she calls a self-worth, I would call it more of a better understanding of our identity in Christ. So the better understanding our identity is, the less shame that we deal with, right? I mean, isn't that kind of obvious? A lot of the messages here have been about identity, and I think Dick and Chris did the teaching on identity, and I mean, we've had some just wonderful stuff. And I would say that for a lot of us, probably, we're probably a work in progress there, right? Is really getting a real proper understanding of our sonship in the kingdom, being a son and a daughter of the king. And it is, I think it is a process. But destroying the myth that accomplishment and approval are measures of a person's worthiness is the essence of what she would call shame resilience. So when self-worth isn't on the line, courage and risk-taking emerge, making room for creativity and innovation, okay? So when it isn't about us feeling the need to attain, to have to do more, to, be, to measure up, um, you know, you're actually more free to have courage to take risks and to do stuff for the kingdom. Um, Because it's not based on our needing to attain something in order to validate our identity. Um, And I think, I mean, we desperately need creativity, and we need the freedom for innovation in our daily personal lives. I mean, how are you supposed to take the seven mountains, you know, without freedom or without creativity, without being innovative and having new ideas and having cultures that embrace freedom and creativity and risk-taking? Um, you know, that's, I, I just, I love the whole, I really appreciate those who have taken great risks. Um, and uh, I think it's worth studying to learn about them and to understand. I love this quote. This was by Theodore Roosevelt in 1910. Out of the, I think he published it in The Citizen in, Citizenship in a Republic. But this is just really cool. He says that the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, but who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error in shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. Isn't that cool? Like, I love that attitude, you know, not just as a president. You know, it's kind of nice to have a president with an attitude like that, take some risks for once. Um, But I personally really like that, you know. I mean, that's something to embrace. Uh, But those who have a proper identity of themselves in the kingdom tend to have an abundance mentality, while the roots of a poverty mentality can be, I think, traced to a fundamental lack of understanding in, in our identity in Christ. You know, when we realize that we're sons and we're daughters and that he's a good dad and he wants to bless his kids. And what son or daughter in the kingdom didn't have any authority, you know? I mean, you got a kingdom at your disposal and a dad who loves you. You know, we've got to start believing that that's how, that's what it's like in the spirit. I mean, that we have all authority because he has all authority and he loves us. It's really that simple. And it's so important that, You know, it seems so basic to say that, but to really believe it is something different. And to start to learn to believe this stuff changes your life. And it doesn't just happen at once. It comes through really believing and training our minds to believe the Word of God. And, you know, it's those times where you start to recognize the enemy work and where you say, you know what, that is not in line with what God said about me. I don't care how true it seems in my natural eyes, I don't accept that, right? And it's learning to kind of align ourselves constantly with what heaven's assignment is over us. Um, So let's look at some uh, scriptures that just talk about abundance. And I think it speaks to our inheritance in Christ and all that we have available. Um, And I I don't remember where the scripture is, but I love the one that says, uh, so as a man thinks, so he is, or so is he. So what we think determines, I think, what, what we're really going to enjoy in the kingdom of God at the very basic. We can settle for less because we haven't aligned ourselves with his purpose, um, and God will still love us for that. But I think it's really up to us what we want to engage in, in the kingdom of God, in, in a sense. I mean, he paid the price. It's for us to come into alignment with that. Psalm 36, 8 through 9 says they drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So they drink their fill of the abundance of, their, of your house. It's a thing of abundance. And he gives us to drink of the river of his delights. The same river flowing from the throne, I think Revelation 22, I think. Uh, the, the water from the throne of God, the living water, living water that's at work within us, too. It's the same thing. It's pretty cool. Psalm 65, 9 says, You visit the earth and you cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. There's no lack. There's no lack to what we can access in our daily lives. You're having a hard day. Well, we have those same rivers of living water at work within us. Sometimes you dig deep and take a step back and say, okay, this isn't going really well today, but you know what? I have the abundance of heaven and his resources at my disposal. That's how I got to think. Don't let it get you frustrated and angry and that's really the poverty mentality, poverty thinking. Let it, you know, start to change how you think, change how your mind works. But I love that. You know, the stream of God is full of water. John 7:37 and 38. John 7:37 and 38. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He who believes in me, it's important to believe. It wasn't just believed the one time. It was he who believes in him, that his finished work was enough, and that we have access to all of heaven's resources and to the kingdom of God. We need to have our minds renewed. Uh, A friend of ours uh, in a group here, Joe McIntyre, says, the first nation quote that we need to take the gospel to is our imagination. You know, the good news, having the mind renewed. Um, You know, I love people's, like, imagination and creativity. You know, I have a daughter who is so creative and imaginative and innovative. And I always say it over her. You are creative. You are innovative. I have no idea what she'll do when she's older. But uh, I don't, I mean, I'm not even that, nearly on that level of creativity is what she is. But I have no idea what you'd do with that in, the, in, the, in, in this world, but I just call it out. I don't know what it's going to look like in 20 years, but you are creative, you are innovative. How did you think of how to do that? You know, and it's like, wow. And she thinks, I don't, I guess I am creative, you know. <laughs> but the first, quote, nation we need to take the gospel to is our imagination. Have our minds renewed. Romans 5:17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace in the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the, in capitals, one, Jesus Christ. We've received an abundance of grace. So it always makes me funny that there's this big debate on grace. You know, it's like, and there's a lot of places it talks about people being full of grace. You know, if it's something a counterfeit, then it's not grace. But it says Stephen was a man full of grace and of power. Right? Stephen, uh, first martyr, full of grace and power. We've received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness to reign in life through Jesus. Psalm 86.5, For you, Lord, are good, and you're ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. There was a word in one of the songs today about his abundance of loving kindness. I don't remember which one that was exactly um but um he's abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you if you've you know if you've sinned or something I mean he's abundant in loving kindness to receive you back like a good dad you know don't believe the lie I remember. Years and years ago, you'd come into worship, and it would be, remember, I think we've probably all dealt with this, it was hard to enter in because you felt like you had sinned, right? So you kind of beat yourself up a little, I can't enter into worship today, I'm just dealing with all this stuff, and it wouldn't be right, you know, I've sinned, and God's not happy with me. And that was like the biggest lie from the enemy, that just loved to paralyze believers. And it's really his pride, and it's kind of a lack of understanding of what he's done for us, but he's abundant in loving kindness towards us. Like, that is so cool. So, you know, he wants to be our rest. You know, he wants to be the place, quote, that we go to to get filled up. He's our satisfaction. I remember somebody uh, years ago who was telling me that they would come home from work every night and have a glass of wine. Yeah, and it would help them kind of calm down or whatever. And honestly, if you do that, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Wine's wonderful. I like a glass of wine, so it's not about the wine. But what the Lord told him was, you know what? I want to be your place of rest, and I want to be your satisfaction, you know? It wasn't about the wine. Uh, It was God's a jealous God, you know, and I love that. But he wants to be that place where we go to to get filled up. Uh, We have a loving dad who's for us. He gave us desires and big dreams to uncover. You know, we've talked about this before, but a sin-focused, fear-based life is being robbed of the abundance that Christ came to give. You know, I I feel sorry for those who are so focused on, you know, the world is getting terrible and, you know, the sin-focused and, you you know, just a really hard religious edge because, honestly, it's not about who's right or wrong, but, you know, I'm choosing to engage in the goodness of God and to receive from him and to believe that he's a God of hope. And, you know, that's where we're putting our trust, right? He's a God of hope. And he's a good dad. And it's, you know, understanding the nature of God changes a lot of our theology, I think, sometimes that we've held. But a gloomy or a fearful view of the future fosters a poverty mentality, too. You know, anything based in fear fosters a spirit of poverty. You know, anything fear. Identify those areas in your life where fear might have a stronghold because it's probably keeping you bound up, keeping you in bondage. Uh, I, I get a real kick out of some of the shows on TV about preppers, you know, doomsday preppers. And, you know, we, we've watched some of those, if anyone's seen them on History Channel or something. And, uh, you know, I just think, you know, honestly, if they want to do that, that's cool. I think part of it's, like, kind of interesting. But to have a whole life focused on one potential event they think may happen. And, th- you know, you talk about being robbed of, a, you know, good future and an inheritance in Christ. You know, I think preparation, it talks about the plans of the diligent lead to advantage. Uh, So plans aren't bad. I really like plans, but, you know, but he's kind of the God over all that stuff. And uh, our hope's in him. Uh, Ephesians 3, 19 through 20. To me, this is really one of the most mind-blowing scriptures. This is so cool. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. There's so much in there. I encourage you to go home and read it and meditate on that. That is an amazing passage. And I only read two verses. The whole chapter is incredible. But and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I always think, you know, we love word studies, but that actually means be filled up to all the fullness of God. I mean, it's really that simple. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly beyond what we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. That part changes our lives, right? When we know that we have that resurrection power, that creative power at work in our lives, that's amazing. His resurrection power is at work in us and is part of our nature in the new creation. That is cool. So in the kingdom, things work like this. If you have cry- chronic financial needs, you know, start giving more. You know, if you um, if you don't have a lot of time and you're always running around, then start giving of it to other people. You know, start giving your time, and the God multiplies that stuff. So that's how we got to think. You know, in the kingdom, it's if you have a need, start giving out of that need. You know, don't just give out of your place of abundance. Give out, get, a, give out of the need. Uh, you have bills to pay, you got needs, bless somebody else. Sow into their lives, even if you don't have much. And watch God, who's got all resources, sow into you. Um, you resist the temptation to hoard or to hold on to. Yeah, I think that is, that's sad. Start countering those thoughts with your identity in the kingdom and our sonship in Christ. Start doing the opposite of what those lies say to you. You know, it's, uh, you know, I know what it's like. You know, it's, I'm in, in the business world, you think of things like retirement, you think of things like you know, advancement, you know, career goals, things like that. It's easy to um, you know, kind of miss it a little bit and just get focused on what you don't have or what you're not seeing and to start trying to meet that need yourself. Um, but uh, that's not what the Lord has. And I'll tell you this. Here's an example I have from work. I think oftentimes, you know, corporations, they're publicly traded, and they're driven to meet goals and meet deadlines. And people turn over. The bottom 10% of a good uh, corporation usually turns over every year because they're constantly trying to grow and to change and to meet new demands in a workforce. Um, so you often see, like, protecting your people's job, protecting their turf, protecting the position— and it starts from the top it leads to suspicion it leads to even political spirits and forming weird alliances i remember i worked at one company like that for 12 years and i was amazed now that I i'm in mean, another one at how much time was wasted just from people chit-chatting in offices behind closed doors talking about what may happen you know or what could happen or what does this appointment mean here well, it probably means we're all out of a job i mean just silly things so much time is wasted by a culture that uh, you know didn't allow freedom and innovation and people to kind of be themselves. Um, I led a sales team there the last year I was there, last year plus. And it was about developing people, helping. Um, it was kind of interesting because I, I worked for a boss uh, prior to that who was very much kept stuff controlled. Everything went through him. He funneled everything. And even our successes sometimes you know, he would get credit for it because you're not behind closed-door meetings. You know, sometimes you don't know what's going on. But I determined to, when I became that, in that role that I was going to help and devote myself to developing the people under me. And I had eight. And, uh, you know, because the, the thoughts creep in there that, well, if someone gets too good, maybe they're going to want my job. Or someone's going to see the need. And it's just so sad, but those, the enemy will even use thoughts like that. Uh, well, I knew I would, wasn't going to be there that long, but I said, you know what, For the, when I'm in here, I'm going to develop these guys. Uh, I am just going like, to pour into them and what I can do in my role and what I have authority over. Uh, I, I'm just gonna, I want them to go farther, to be successful. I taught them all the tricks and how to be successful and how to sell and how to gain access and everything um, that I had learned in order to get where I was. And I'll tell you, wh- one of the benefits of that has been, you know, it helped develop me in leadership. Senior management actually saw me as one who could actually help develop people under me. And you'd be surprised, but in corporations, there aren't a lot of people that management trusts to manage other people. They don't want big problems coming up in groups that they have to try to go in and figure out how to do. They want people who don't lose tempers, who, I mean, really, they want people who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. They just don't know it, you know, so... I was able to mentor so many, and you can ask my wife. I've been gone there almost a year. I still get emails on a daily, weekly basis, LinkedIn messages. Can we go do lunch? Thanks so much for all you did. I feel, you know, they're reaping the benefits of how I positioned them before I left. And it's such a rewarding thing, you know. So, but that's, um, that's how one of the ways I learned how to start thinking of abundance. You want to you, you do well, start pouring into the people that are under you. And give them everything they need to succeed and don't hold on to anything. Don't hold back. Because God keeps pouring it back into you for me to be even more successful. Um, And I'm just using that as an example because I think sometimes it's helpful. Um, But that's how we are even in in the kingdom. Uh, Not that there's anything different there about what we're doing here, but it's the same principles. So if God puts people in your life, develop them, mentor them, give them all that you have, all the wisdom that you've accumulated, all the knowledge, and let them soar and God will pour back into you so much more, you know, so much more exponentially than what you had before. So just don't hold on to it. But so, so that's all I got. Living from a place of abundance, allowing our minds to be renewed. You know, don't fall into the world systems and the way of doing things which holds on and creates a poverty spirit and poverty mentality. But you know, do it different. You know, because He's at work within us. So uh, I hope you're encouraged. Just. Uh, Good stuff. Um, you know what I think would be cool? Mary, can you come up? Can we just play that chorus going out of here singing? I, I got you out of here pretty early today, which I think is pretty good. So you owe me at least a couple minutes of the song. Pete told me that I had to 11.40 today, so and I did. So, but uh, what's that? Oh, yeah, no kids till noon. Uh, kids are being ministered to down there, just like it has been up here. I'll tell you, they work all week long and youth and all them to like prepare and so be praying for all the kids that are in there being ministered to now. They're exercising gifts, they're being equipped. It's good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for the kingdom that we're a part of. Thank you for our sonship in the kingdom of God. Thank you that you've made us to think different than the world, to be peculiar, to do things different, to express your nature wherever we are.